You're listening to the Mac and Main Show. On 98.1 WQAQ. The soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Is this the dagger? Everybody to the Mac in Main Show 226 Jack Main Steve McAvoy. Dollars try to figure out which way to point. Eric Kerr is below us here. It is Monday, May 18th. We are super excited to be back and on the grind with you guys this week. We had a great episode last week with Professor Trip Sanders. He went over a bunch of the business aspect of COVID-19 and how the sports book can get back up and running. Make sure that you guys go listen to that. But we are super excited to be here today to discuss the best sports documentary that I have ever seen. And I'm sure that these guys would both agree with that. The Last Dance, the 10-part Michael Jordan series, debuted uh, five weeks ago on Sunday and finished up last night. They were airing two episodes per night. Each episode was an hour long. It is by far one of the most in-depth well-thought-out, well-processed documentaries that has ever been put out in the sports industry. We were going to get into that, but before we get into that, Steve, how are things going on right now? Uh, Things are good. I purchased, well, I didn't purchase, I found it, and then I had to uh, sell it and then rebuy it again because it was was scratched up. Uh, I pulled out the Xbox 360 from the archives, and I've been playing Madden 12, my Michael Vick Giants franchise. It's so fun. The players... The players that like you wouldn't expect to be in this game, like um, for, trying to think of like past players that that that, that you would know from the like, 2012 that you probably ha- haven't heard of in forever. Um, ben Jarvis Green Ellis. Yes, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. Uh, it, it's one of those teams like like Ryan Mallett is a battle quarterback. Uh, like like yeah. stuff like Was that. Ellis on the cover. Yeah, Peyton Hillis. <laughs> the year that the year that Peyton Hillis had like some insane years of fullback and then then converted to a running back in uh, in Cleveland. The weirdest cover athlete ever for Madden, by far. But yeah, so that's what I've been really doing. And then just binging uh, Netflix shows. Eric Kerr is back on the podcast. He is below here. Eric has been on the show a couple of times. This is your second time being on the show in quarantine, correct? Yeah, second time in quarantine. So happy to be back. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I got a haircut. My hair is definitely a lot shorter than the last time I was on. I was going <laughs> to ask, how did you get a haircut? So my mom gave me a haircut, but she did it a little too shorter than I would have liked. So that's why Oof. it doesn't look like a normal Eric Kerr flow. It's it's not nearly as, as, as tall. So it's an adjustment for me. I don't know if I like it. You guys like it? It's a good look. Uh, I wish okay. I could see it in person. It, yeah. Yeah, like had I seen it in person, I, I, I could be, be a little more objective, but <laughs> – we here at the Mac and Main Show would like to offer up our congratulations to all the seniors who graduated from Quinnipiac this past weekend and then to the rest of them across the country. You guys got the short end of the stick this spring. Steve was one of them. Fortunately, he is coming back 
next year to do his yeah. uh, master's in sports journalism. So he will be one more year in the studio on the Mac and Maid show. And then Eric and I will be heading into our junior years at Quinnipiac. We are super, super excited to continue with what we are doing here. Guys, I think that I think that we could just hop right into it because, I mean, this is this has got to be one of the hottest topics in the history of sports. Absolutely. Would you agree? Yeah. By, by far. So, first, I want to preface this. Um, first, the last dance, I want to talk about this before we actually really get into our big debate. Uh, for those of you who have been living under a rock for the past uh, 30 years almost, uh, the leaving of Michael Jordan to the NBA and the arrival of LeBron James, very, like literally after Jordan's retirement in 03, has sparked probably the greatest 30-year run in the NBA in terms of the greatest players ever uh, to, to step foot on a basketball court. But first, just just with the last dance, I wanted to just uh, talk to you guys about what you guys thought about the about the documentary as a whole, what were like things and things that you found new that you didn't necessarily like know? Like, like for one, I, I think everyone was shocked at the fact that MJ actually had food poisoning and not the flu for the flu game. It kind of takes away the, the I mean, does really take away the legacy? I don't really know. Of, uh, I don't really know. It's still a, uh, it still sucks that to be throwing up it every five minutes from food poisoning, but I feel like it, it's a whole new kind of take on things. What, what were your initial thoughts or things that you found interesting? Both you guys. Well, um, there was a lot of stuff. And also, for, for me, I haven't seen the full part of The Last Dance yet, but I saw up to episode seven. So I am, I am in tune with what's going on. I think the whole portion of just like, you know, why specifically Michael Jordan retired from basketball, leading into the whole era of him starting to play basketball because of his dad's passing, uh, I think was truly, truly interesting to me because it wasn't because of, you know, the speculation that people assumed that he got suspended from uh, from the league by David Stern for those two years, which is why he sat out. It was actually because he genuinely, like, felt tired. You know, he gave his effort, gave his all to Chicago for those three years winning those championships. And he just felt he had nothing to achieve, and he genuinely felt he was ready to retire and follow a new passion uh, along with his family name. So I think that was really cool in the aspect, seeing kind of the, the Michael Jordan outside of basketball, seeing how the crowd really loved him and respected him and, just showered him with so much praise. It was just really cool to see that I personally, in my generation, our, our generation in particular, didn't really get the chance to see. So it was cool to kind of see that visual aspect while watching it. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you, Eric. I think that this documentary really showed how much power Michael Jordan held in the NBA. Um, after I didn't even know that um, like I knew Michael had gambling, like a gambling thing that he was doing, like that was like a side hobby. I never crossed my mind that he was gonna that he was forced to retire by by David Stern. So I didn't really even consider that an option until watching this documentary. But um, I, yeah, you know, I think that what this documentary showed that a lot of people aren't going to talk about is how media can really hype something up into something it's not. Uh, mm. We saw that with. Uh, Jordan retiring. We saw that with the speculation that Jordan's dad was killed because of a gambling debt that happened um, 
you know, it, with Jordan, we saw it with uh, when when the flu game, like everyone thought that he was gambling in the casino until six in the morning when really some someone, you know, messed with his pizza. Uh, by the way, RIP to the Utah pizza industry. I mean, man, I am never ordering a pizza if I go to Salt Lake City. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it is so crazy how the media can just take a story and absolutely run with it as far as they can just to make it so ridiculous. Um, and, and it just shows up how, how insensitive uh, journalists can be and how that really is something that hasn't changed too much to the current present day as we are all seeing uh, in, our, in our current day lives. So really just crazy to see how how no one's really going to talk about that, but it's really something that I noticed. And I think that it should be talked about a little bit more. I think the one thing that really hit me, this is more towards the very end. I think it was, they, they hashed on it on, on, on the last episode of it. And then um, afterwards, Scott Van Pelt interviewed Michael Wilbon and uh, Jackie McMullen. They were kind of talking about it and talking and discussing Michael Wilbon's from Chicago. And so growing up as a fan of Michael Jordan, as a fan of the Bulls, you look at it almost in a different light, but now obviously being a, being a Knicks fan for me, I don't really have the opportunity to, to be a, a, a Heat fan with LeBron, a, a Cavs fan with LeBron, or uh, a Lakers fan now with, with, with LeBron. There's no real like cornerstone player uh, that I can look at that has this like culture, but Michael Jordan really, really became a culture rather than a, a person. It was everything I've, – I've never seen attention – now, people, people flock to watch LeBron James now wherever he goes to play. I know for the Knicks, the ticket can go from $80 to, to, against the Jazz to $200 the second, the, second the, the Lakers show, show up in the marquee because it's LeBron James. But Michael Jordan, it seemed, so, it seemed so much more. The attention in Utah in his final, in his final uh, finals appearance with, with, me, with media and people lined up at his hotel days before he even – uh, arrive there or people just swarming him every single opportunity they had random people faking uh media passes to get into the arenas it's you don't really see it now i feel it's a, it, maybe it's more maybe it, it, it's a security thing but i just think the absolute the overall culture that that michael jordan gave chicago and how he made and he said it when he was drafted he wants to make them respectable like a uh, a philadelphia or a boston or or an la and I really think he did it. And unfortunately, they haven't been able to kind of get, kind of get back to themselves. But the Bulls in the 90s have become an icon for, for black culture, for America in general. It's almost like what the, Oakland, what the, what the LA Raiders did uh, in LA, according to like Ice Cube. It's, it's, it's more than just what Michael Jordan did as his own brand and, and, as, and as his own player. It's what he literally made Chicago. So with that being said, we need to now discuss what really – who really is the greatest of all time? We, we, we're still living in the era of LeBron, Jack. This is a, this is a, I was going to intro this segment by saying that oh, this sorry. is, no, 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 you, you're doing fine. I just wanted to say that this is something that every time we bring up Michael versus LeBron, we've always said this is a debate for another day. Today is that day that we finally get around to that debate. It seems like the appropriate time. Um, but anyway, what you were saying. You know, oddly enough, uh, LeBron James tonight is going to go on with Maverick Carter on, uh, on, on Uninterrupted, and they're going to do a podcast, and he's going to talk about the debate himself. The, one of the GOATs will be debating with the other GOAT to figure out who really is the greatest. And honestly, it's, 
this this topic it, it, it can go either way. It can go eighty five different ways. Considering a we're at at the oldest twenty two years old. You guys are both what nineteen uh, twenty twenty. So we're, yeah. we didn't live in the era of Jordan. Uh, when I was born was was three months before uh, the ninety eight finals. So I don't really remember anything. Um, all I know is the accounts that that my grandpa told, the legacies that that they carried on. Phil Jackson obviously going on to L.A. and doing his thing there. So my only coaching knowledge from Phil Jackson was in L.A. And obviously we're currently we're currently living in the reign of LeBron, but LeBron is now I believe 36 years old and is starting to, and he's starting to decline. You can see it. You can see it in the numbers. But I think the biggest thing first to preface this too. Michael Jordan, uh, I, I have the numbers pulled up here. So in their careers, Jordan played roughly, I want to say it's like 300 to 400 games less than LeBron. So like almost four seasons worth. So obviously the numbers once, because of course, of course I'm going to use numbers here. Uh, just to kind of put this into perspective, losing four years, of, losing almost four years of game time, it's going to take a toll on your numbers. It might skew things higher towards Jordan because he didn't play as much or higher towards LeBron because his numbers just, just averaged out. But that's just my, uh, my first thing that, that I want to bring up. But I want you guys to kind of start things off. So whatever y'all want to talk about, start off with who, who, who your pick is. I want to hear it off from you first before I saw my spiel. Do you want the guests go first maybe? Yeah, let's let the guests go first. Sounds good. Okay, so um... – before the last dance, you know, I was someone that originally came into this thinking like, oh, like LeBron and James and Michael Jordan are very equal. It's hard to compare like who the GOAT is because they're both very like different types of players. Like you have Jordan, who's like a, a great scorer, clutch player, is a champion. And LeBron James is also a champion too, but can do a number of things in the courts with that side of scoring, whether that be passing, grabbing rebounds, uh, setting up his teammates for easy buckets, making everyone on the court seem better. But you know, as I watch the last dance and I, I kind of look at the numbers too, like Steve, I realize, you know, just how much better Michael Jordan is of a player compared to LeBron James. Um, the scoring numbers is the first thing to start. Like in just his third season, he was already averaging about 37 points per game. And I know LeBron is not a scorer. And, and yes, he, LeBron also hit the 30s as well with 31, but that 87 team didn't have Scottie Pippen. That was essentially just Michael Jordan going to work and going out there and getting buckets. And, you know, that was his kind of style. But then it, you, as you will see how the team adjusts over time, like the Bulls get Scottie Pippen, the Bulls get Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright. They start to build that unit. Uh, the scoring numbers go down, but they're still in the 30s. And that's because Michael's adjusting to the style of the team. He's adjusting the style of the Bulls. And that's how they were able to win those championships. That's how Michael Jordan is right now has doubled the amount of championships LeBron has because he's able to adjust to a system. Like with Doug Collins, Collins is the guy who's just like, all right, Michael, take the ball, go and score for us, get us buckets. Phil Jackson, different coaching style. He wanted to implement the triangle style where everyone gets involved. What did Michael do? He didn't like it at first, but he adjusted to it. And that's why he's sitting up here with those championships, those victories and those wins. And that goes to credit, too, you know, with being out for a period of time. Like, he went to go play baseball for a year, different type of training, different type of style. It affects your basketball games, what some of the people were saying in the documentary itself. But it doesn't matter. The next, like, three years after he comes back, he wins three more championships. 
So with that in mind, and just looking at the entire body work, you know, winning, getting the scoring numbers, but the defense is key as well. Three times Michael Jordan led the NBA in steals. And I didn't mention how many times that he led the league in points, but just three times of steals just showed how Michael Jordan is a, a factor on both the offensive and defensive side. And LeBron, you know, he has those offensive numbers as well, but we've noticed that LeBron has maybe taken some possessions off on defense, kind of letting that decline. His teammates kind of pick up for him, like pairing with guys like Anthony Davis, who's a superstar interior defender. And not just that too, but JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard in their own rights are great interior defenders as well. Michael Jordan played with Dennis Rodman, who's five inches shorter than their size. And, you know, no discredit to Dennis Rodman. He's a great defender in his right as well. But the fact that Michael Jordan didn't have a seven-footer with him and was still able to do the things that he did in offense and defense is tremendous. So now after watching it, I'm going with Michael Jordan all the way. He's the goat in my mind. But I kind of want to hear what you guys have to say, see if there's any disagreement. Okay. Um. So before Steve bores us all to death with numbers, <laughs> you cannot. I, I, I wasn't too boring. <laughs> you no, no, Eric, you were right because you kind of talked about how Jordan was able to adjust his game. I'm not going to use statistics to make my argument because Steve's going to do that. Um, and then, but also, like I think that you all you have to really do is look at the surface to really tell who the greatest basketball player of all time is. When it comes to Brady versus Montana, you have rings and you have um percentage percentage wins for uh for each of those quarterbacks so you have montana going four for four in the super bowl and then you have brady going six for nine in the super bowl you know brady won six but lost three montana went four for four in the super bowl with lebron james and michael jordan jordan goes six for six but in his own respect LeBron went to eight straight finals without missing a without like without a year in between. He went to eight straight finals, won three plus. He went to one prior, like three years before that string of eight straight. So I mean, you have to look at the different pros and cons that go into each category for each player. For the pros, for Michael Jordan, he went to six in a row, and he, or he went to six and he won six. He three-peated twice. He didn't have to run away from his original team to go get his first one. He didn't have to go call on another player to go get his first one. He did it himself with a coach in, in Chicago. In LeBron's situation, he couldn't win in Cleveland, so he was like, hey, I'm going to call up my buddy Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and see if they want to go team up in the nice, sunny, hot city of Miami. Like, I mean, like, if, if I'm LeBron James and I want to be compared to Michael Jordan, you have to figure out a way to lure somebody to come to Cleveland to win with you. He, like, when Michael Jordan couldn't get past the Pistons, he didn't, he didn't bitch and whine about it. He went to the gym put on some muscle, told his teammates to do the same thing, and then they went and they beat the Pistons and they win their first championship. So when it comes to the dedication and the way that the two guys approach the game, in the case of Michael Jordan, he, and you would see this in the documentary, someone would say something stupid to him on the streets and Michael puts that in his steel trap memory and he uses that as motivation out on the court to make himself better. LeBron yep. wins his one championship in Cleveland. He says, I'm going to call it good. 
I'm going to go retire out to Los Angeles where I can make movies and be on podcasts and be down the street from Leonardo DiCaprio if I ever want to go get some lunch with him. Like, with, like, I don't see that same determination and that same dedication to I am willing to do whatever it takes to win by myself because I'm just going to go and I'm, and granted, there's two different eras of basketball. If you look at the final scores from the games and the final dance, they're all in like, like the highest scores were like 94 to, to like 90. Today mm-hmm. we're seeing scores where the, where the final scores is like 120, 115, really yeah. high scoring games. So it's a very different game that we're talking about back then. But that makes it all the much more impressive to see that in, a, in an era where scoring wasn't the focal point of your game, Michael Jordan was getting that done essentially by himself and motivating his teammates to do the same thing. I'm rolling with Michael Jordan. Yeah, well, and also to that point, I'm quick, quickly, I want to add to that point about LeBron James making those eight straight NBA Finals appearances. A lot of those times, it was against weaker competition in the Eastern Conference, like Michael Jordan had to go against the Pistons, as Jack mentioned, but also the Knicks, too, were a tough tough out for them. Celtics. The Celtics had some good teams. I mean, not in the I mean, not in the 90s era when Jordan was winning the championships, but certainly when Jordan dropped 63 points against the best Celtics team of all time, 85-86. Another thing, too, in those playoffs, you know, they didn't win, but Jordan was still putting up numbers back then, too. But LeBron James, I mean, who's he really played in those, like, eight straight Eastern Conference uh, appearances outside of, like, you know, maybe those first few years of the heat, like with those final, like going to the finals with the Cavs, like you had to play against what? The Atlanta Hawks. Like, yeah, they were good in the regular season, but they were no means. Sixers, of the uh, Raptors. Sixers when they were young, Raptors when they were young. Celtics when they didn't even have Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward in that finals. The Celtics took them to seven with like a young Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So I mean, you have to kind of look at the body weight. It's the competition in terms of how LeBron is getting to those uh, Eastern Conference Finals, or get, I mean, getting to the, the NBA Finals, excuse me, in terms of how Michael Jordan is getting there. So that's just my – I just wanted to weigh in on that. But, Steve, go ahead. Sorry to cut you so, off. So I'm going to disagree with both of you, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to stick to my guns I've been saying forever, and it's, and it's LeBron James. And, yes, I'm going to bore, bore the shit out of you guys with my stats, but the stats matter. I'm going to use Jack's point where he said – that the league was different back then and scoring didn't matter as much and, and it mattered more on defense. You're right. The, the focal de- point. The focal point of your game yeah. needed to be defense. Yeah. And back then, the defensive, the defensive era of the 90s, the hand check era, you know, you remember most vividly John Stark on the Knicks would, would hand check the shit out of everybody. Big men down low, you, you can get away, you could have gotten away with a lot more. Dennis Rodman, it was considered by some uh, analysts today like Bill Plaschke saying he is the Draymond Green of the 90s, but what he did in the 90s, Draymond Green could have gotten, gotten away with a hell of a lot more than, than what he does now. But with that being said, LeBron James is an interesting case. And I agree with you that there, there have been times that, that he's taken off on positions. He's essentially pre-set himself up for retirement going to L.A. And it doesn't help his case in any way, shape, or form. But – that's also LeBron James looking at himself more as, as a brand, getting ready for what is going to come afterwards. Now, yes, it's very easy to play your years out in Cleveland, retire, go to L.A., and start your career up. But you want to be able to maintain that longevity. Players like Wayne Gretzky, who played out, who played out his career on various teams, didn't establish himself as a brand, just one of the greatest players ever to step foot on ice, 
and then tried starting up a, a successful brain career afterwards, it didn't work. Mostly because 10 years after the fact, he almost became irrelevant because, because he didn't do anything except for being a hockey player. Tom Brady doesn't necessarily have the greatest brand outside of himself. His TV 12 brand, there's no like, he doesn't have a shoe deal. He doesn't have this, these gigantic sponsorships. When, the, when Tom Brady retires, he's going to kind of fade out. He's going to be a legend. Everyone's going to know who he is. But where Michael Jordan has had 45 pairs of shoes and the Jordan brand and the, and, and the Charlotte Hornets and all these different things, LeBron James is right behind them with, with the most lucrative shoe contract in NBA history with Nike. He'll forever be cemented. The, when you hear LeBron James, you, you know exactly what you're talking about. Other players don't have that. So even though, yes, he's setting up his career for, for, for the future, whether it be acting, um, he's looking into, he, he's looking into uh, liquor, stuff like that, you're, you're, he's trying to set himself up. But looking at the head-to-heads, LeBron has the edge in the following stats, and this is, this is, where, this is where the argument holds. Rebounds per game, assists per game, field goal percentage, and three-point percentage. Now, yes, he's played almost 400 games more, more than Michael Jordan, but – we can agree Michael Jordan is a better pure scorer than, than LeBron James is, correct? Yes. We can that. Yeah, Definitely. yeah. In terms, of, in terms of, like, creativity around the rim. Yeah. Michael Jordan be, being a finisher, a driver, uh, as, a, he, as a true shooting guard, he was. LeBron James isn't really a true anything. He could play point guard. He could play shooting guard. He could play the big. I think LeBron James' physicality and his ability to – do everything on the court at once. Michael Jordan couldn't necessarily do that, but he made up with it in his defense. If you look at his advanced numbers, Michael Jordan played horribly when he went up against uh, bigger opponents. He was mostly he was most likely successful playing against the point guard, shooting guard positions. Once you start getting higher up and bigger men, he started to fail off. Most of his most of his steals, almost seventy eight percent of them, came against players of his own size and caliber, shooting guard, point guard, so on. LeBron James being, being able to defend all five positions on the court, I think is the most unstoppable thing in basketball. No one's been able to do it. No one can do it. Mostly because no one is, is six foot nine, 270 pounds, and has the finishing ability of Michael Jordan, the, the down low ability of Shaq, and the shooting ability of put someone's name in here. Now, yes, he isn't the most powerful three-point shooter, and he isn't the greatest in the line. He only shot, he, he's, he's shooting below 20, a little bit below 75% from, from the line. But LeBron has 2,000 more points than Jordan, 3,000 more boards, 3,600 more assists, 70 more blocks. Four more years of playing. Again. All right, but, but think about it. 2,000 more points with only 200 more games played, that's only 10 points a game. That isn't anything crazy. In, so, in, the, in the era where you're scoring over 100 points a game, Michael scored, Michael's team scored 80 to, to, to 100 points a game. LeBron's teams are scoring 100 to 120 points a game. So let me charge on. Michael, Jordan's, Michael Jordan for his career has been a better, has been a better free throw uh, shooter. He has played less games. So, so adjusted, this, adjusted the career numbers are relatively the same. Honestly, Michael Jordan has the edge in career points per game, but I want to look at the playoffs. And this is really where I think things get, things get different. Now, just to hash this, hash this already, I've talked about the eye test. Michael Jordan couldn't guard everyone on the floor. He mostly only had success against point guards and shooting guards. LeBron James can cover everyone on the floor and has the highest efficiency rating on defense out of any player in the NBA at all five positions at, uh, throughout, throughout the peak of his career. 
But the playoffs is really where LeBron James has shined. That's when his peak really hit from 2011 until the modern day. And I'm going to talk about why he also left, left Cleveland uh, to counteract your point, Jack, after this. LeBron James has been known as a team player. People said it, uh, folks said it, in, folks said it in, a, in the documentary, Melville Jordan wasn't the greatest team player. He was very much, I will do it all by myself. Give me the ball, I'll do it. LeBron James statistically, yeah, he's been averaging almost 27 points a game, but he's also been, been picking up the slack for everybody else. He didn't, he, he, in an era where Michael Jordan essentially established the big three with Rodman, Pippen, and himself, not to mention the, the depth he had with, uh, with Tony Kukoc and uh, Steve Kerr and company, he, he started what the big three really was. If you notice, LeBron James' career, he's gone through the big threes, Ginobili, Duncan, Parker, uh, Pierce, Garnett, Allen, uh, Kobe, I guess you'd say Pau Gasol, Andrew Bynum, or whatever third player was a part of the, of the, of the Lakers dynasty at, at that time. Even like Steve Nash, Amari Sotomayor, and Joe Johnson. All these teams that were all, all motivated are on three big names. And then most recently with the Golden State Warriors, Curry, Thompson, Draymond. And then you could even put in DeMarcus Cousins once he entered. And then, and then KD, almost, almost the most elite starting five of all time. He never got through those guys. Right. I'm aware of that. But LeBron James never had, never had the team to essentially do that. He's moved on and he's gotten and he's and he he is he made himself established with these big threes. It was him, Kyrie, and Love, and then him, Bosch, and Wade. But I every single team that that he was a part of, Dwayne Wade it isn't Clay Thompson. Chris Bosch isn't Kevin Durant. Chris Bosch isn't uh, Tim Duncan, and Mono Ginobili isn't Dwayne Wade. It's it, it it wasn't like where Scottie Pippen was the best small forward in the league and Dennis Rodman was the best rebounder in the league, regardless of the fact that the fact that he had Akeem Olajuwon and Carl Malone and so many other players to to go against. These were the best players in certain categories that mattered. Michael Jordan did the scoring. Pippen Pippen was essentially the the fallback option who who, who every single year in the playoffs was second was second in points points and assists per game to Michael Jordan. And then Dennis Robin led led the NBA led the NBA playoffs in rebounds four years running. So you're looking at guys who were really just role players, where as opposed to LeBron James's team, he wasn't the he wasn't the only scorer. He wasn't the only benefactor. Kyrie Irving averaged 23.4 points per game in the playoffs. Wade averaged 20. Bosch averaged almost 14. And then Kevin Love averaged 15. But Kevin Love is more is more of an outlier because he didn't play nearly as much. For Jordan, Jordan averaged almost 36 points in the playoffs. Pippen averaged 17. Tony Kukoc, who was the who, who was the second leading uh, scorer, averaged 11, and Rodman averaged only five. And LeBron averaged 29 points per game. We're looking at almost three quarters of the team's points responsible by four players uh, across across the Heat and the Cavs for LeBron James. Jordan did it all, and it, and it was only really scoring in defense. But what but what I'm saying is is that. LeBron James needed the big three era to succeed. Michael Jordan, at the time, if you look at these teams, the teams that Jordan played, yes, they were jam-packed. But when you played the Rockets, it was really Akeem Olajuwon. When you played the Jazz, it was really Malone and Stockton. There was no depth. Can you name me the third best player on the Jazz, the third best player on the Rockets, the third best player on the Pistons? Probably can't. Well, the Jazz is Jeff Hornacek. But the Rockets, it's it's kind of tough because like they have they had a good start. Five Drexler. Then, then, no, he was on the he was on the Blazers. No, no, 
That was the Blazers, yeah. He he went to the University of Houston, though. But what I'm saying okay. is, is that there was no depth outside of these stars. Michael Jordan had the star power and was able to do it. That's why, I, honestly, I would consider LeBron having the harder competition because in the reality of things, he had to pick up the slack for, for, for Kevin Love, who, who was essentially hurt. Chris Bosh wasn't the greatest defender. They didn't, who, who was the center uh, in Miami? Udonis Haslam? Maybe? Greg Oden for a couple of times. <laughs> who? Greg Oden. Greg Oden. Greg Oden. Greg Oden. Greg Oden. <laughs> and his shitty knees? Thanks. All like, right. All right. At the end of the day, LeBron James needed, needed the big three because he was going up against legends his entire career. And, yes, so was Jordan. But Jordan was going up against one guy who he didn't even defend at the time. He defended Stockton. He didn't. He didn't defend Olajuwon. He didn't defend Malone. He's not supposed okay. to. He's not a big. Guy. Yeah. Okay. Big okay. Here we go. Defender. Here we go. LeBron this. But LeBron James covered Curry. He covered Duncan. He covered Ginobili. He covered. Yeah. This is where you are. This is where you've contradicted yourself. You have contradicted yourself because you have said that LeBron has the highest efficiency rating in, in terms of defense in the NBA because he plays in what is called the positionless era in basketball. When Michael Jordan played basketball, there was a point guard. It was Steve Kerr and it was, uh, and it was Paxton. There was a shooting guard. It was Michael Jordan. There was a, uh, a, a small forward, Scottie Pippen. There was a, a power forward, Dennis Rodman, and then there was a center, Bill Walton, uh, Cartwright. Those five guys made up each of those positions on the floor for the Bulls. When, Michael, uh, when, when LeBron James plays on any of the teams that he has ever played on, you can insert him into position A, position B, position C, because that is the mode that we are in today with the NBA. Giannis Antetokounmpo, if you just give him the eye test, he looks exactly like a center. But the Bucks use him to run their points, to run their point, because he is the best natural scorer on that team. Michael Jordan was the best natural scorer on the Chicago Bulls, but he never brought the ball up. It was always Kerr and it was always Paxton. Only in the most needy yep. situations like in game six against the Utah Jazz in the 1997 NBA Finals, would Michael Jordan bring the ball up the floor because he was the guy that was going to get the bucket. Every single time the Cavaliers needed a bucket, which was most of their possessions because they were going up against the greatest scoring team in all time, like the Golden State Warriors, LeBron James was bringing the ball up because he was running the point. His first year in Los Angeles, he – he was told by Magic Johnson, you're probably going to play a lot of five this year. We got Lonzo Ball. We got Rajon Rondo. We got Kyle Kuzma. So what are we going to do? We're going to put you at the five because you're the biggest guy on the floor. This year, he's the second biggest guy on the floor, third biggest guy on the floor because they got Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard. So they moved LeBron from the five to the one. Why can they do that? Because we are in the era of positionless basketball where you can plug and chug guys wherever you want. When Al Horford was on the Celtics, he ran the point when Kyrie was out. There's no way in hell we're having Marcus Smart pull up from three. That guy shoots 25%. Michael Jordan could do it. Well, Michael Jordan could pull up from anywhere on the floor. He could drive. He was creative. And he could get around those true position big men like Patrick Ewing, like Carl Malone, and like Dennis Rodman and the rest right. of the bad boy Pistons. Yeah, that is I why 
Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, and that is why you Your contradicted yourself when you say that he has the highest def- um, defensive rating because he all because he guards Curry and he guards Klay Thompson. But I'm going to disagree with you on this. I wouldn't call this a positionless era in basketball. The only thing the only thing the NBA has really done has turned the small ball. You got to realize that these players like Ben Simmons, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and and LeBron James, they're freaks of nature. They're oversized. Ma- Magic Johnson was a center who played point guard. Just because you're a good ball handler. You can run the point. Congratulations. But players like Anthony Davis, he's only really a forward. The only difference is he can now shoot shoot the three. Al Horford is really a big man, but he can shoot the three. The only difference is that, that players in the 90s who, who like, like, like Hakeem Olajuwon, who couldn't pull up from three, now you can do it because there's more of an emphasis on it and there's more of a need. You, you're also looking at two totally different leagues where the NBA, the NBA of the 90s, it wasn't a, it wasn't a three-point-centric league. It wasn't until the Warriors in 2015 said, oh, wow, we can, we can shoot 45% from three, shoot 30% for the game, and win the game by 30 points. And they did it, and, and they made it happen. That's what, that, the NBA has shifted now to a three-point-centric league. If you notice, the splits in the 90s, 60 to 70% of your points came, came from in the paint. Now it's, like, now, now it's, it's, almost, a, it's almost a halfway split, three points to the inside. So – you, you're looking at it in different ways. I'm not going to call it a positionless league. I'm just saying it's more players have got, players have developed more and they've learned to try new things and do new things. You can even see it now in college. And I'm going to use it at, at, use it at, at, as a, a a bit smaller example. College centers now and college centers or big men now who are six six nine seven foot ball ball Kevin Marfell players like that can hit threes. You didn't see that even five years ago. What I'm saying is, is that, that, that the league is developing. Players are getting better and stronger and faster than ever, and, and they're being taught ball handling. It's like trying to teach, teach an MLB, a, a MLB pitcher to hit a baseball. Most of them couldn't do it five years ago. Now you see Madison Bumgarner hitting a home run every 12 bats. It can happen. It, ha- it has happened. Which LeBron is why this is becoming the positionless era of basketball. Because everybody can do anything. And yeah, because the league is smaller. But it isn't truly positionless. The scoring yes, it has, is. <laughs> the scoring has become the biggest thing. The ball handling really hasn't. Yep. You don't see you don't see a lot of big men that that can ball handle like, like LeBron James can. You yeah, see, you, like, Al Horford can't ball handle like Giannis or LeBron or Ben Simmons can. Joel Embiid can't do it either. They're not as they're not as charismatic with the ball. They're they're, they're not as quick on their feet. LeBron James can, can break your ankles. Joel Embiid's not going to do that. Yeah, that's I kind of I I want to add that and say like the game is more about spacing, and that's why you know and that's why these players are working in the three point shots because they're able to generate more spacing that allows players you know like a Ben Simmons, a Giannis Antetokounmpo, a LeBron James to be able to slash get inside, get easier buckets because there's not that many people around them because there's three or four of their players spacing out in the mid-range or the three points to get an easier shot. If someone does collapse on them, they can just kick it back out. And also, if you throw LeBron James in that kind of segment, I, I mean, not LeBron James, if you could throw Michael Jordan in that kind of segment today, I feel like he'd be able to do the same thing and also be able to get more spacing for people, adjust his game to style. Maybe he could become more of a playmaker at a, at a six-foot-six role as well if he played in today's era. We we just don't know because, you know, with, the, with Le- Michael Jordan's, Era, he played more of a triangle kind of offense where it was a lot more passing and ball movement uh, in a few spots of the court because not everyone could really shoot that three ball or really want to work in the three ball because it wasn't that important and stress because it was a big man dominant era with players like like Hakeem, like Patrick Ewing, like Carmelo. Um, so 
And now the game's different. So, like, if you have Michael Jordan that era, maybe he shifts his game and become more of a – works on his three-pointer, works on trying to penetrate a little more and, and dish it to other people. So, to that point, you just don't really know what it could have been like if Michael Jordan played in this era. Maybe he could be averaging 40 points a game or it could be lower. So, that's just that my kind there of – There are – there's only two or three teams in the NBA that I would argue that roll with the traditional five-set players, and those are the teams with the traditional point guards. And I would say that the Brooklyn Nets, when everyone's healthy, I'd say the Brooklyn Nets, the Golden State Warriors, and the Portland Trailblazers, what you have in common with those three teams that I just mentioned is that they are arguably have the best three point guards in the NBA. Again – when everybody's healthy. You cannot tell me right now that you are comfortable in a game on the line situation. You are not comfortable giving Ben Simmons the ball to run up the court and try to hit a game tying shot. You are nope, the you most, yeah. you got to give it to Joel Embiid. But even if you're like, even if you're down by three and you are in the most dire situation, they got rid of JJ Redick there. So he's no longer an option. If you are in a dire need of a shot, are you really going to like put all your eggs in the basket on Joel Embiid? They're just going to pile up on Embiid in the paint. You know, like with Michael Jordan, you had to worry. And, and this is the same case with LeBron. You had to worry about those guys pulling up from any spot on the court and being efficient from every spot they have. If you have a guy like Kyrie or Kyrie, uh, like Kyrie or Curry or Dame Lillard, who in my opinion, when healthy, are the best three traditional skill point guards in the NBA. You are now not, not now you were, you are now not only worrying about them breaking your ankles and pulling up and embarrassing you, but you are worried about them pulling up from 40 feet from, from the basket. You are worried about them driving in and getting creative underneath the hoop because they are point guards who are, who have that ability to shake and bake. But that is where Michael Jordan thrived when he had a true number one point guard. If you remember when he played in the era of, of Larry Bird and um, uh, Carl, not Carl Malone, um, Kevin McHale on the Boston Celtics, Michael was pretty much the point guard of that team. He was just put in the shooting guard spot, but he would, but he was the guy that was essentially pulling up from everywhere. And his 62 just wasn't enough because the Celtics had a true set five players with one of the greatest power forwards of all time in Larry Bird and one of the greatest centers of all time in uh, Kevin McHale. So I am telling you right now that because they played in a, true five player era like a five position era where everyone had to play their position Michael Jordan did more getting creative with the basketball and having that skill set to pull up or drive where if LeBron was in that era he would get what not as many opportunities because all he would do was ball hog okay so tell me this so look at the Nets, the Warriors, and the Blazers, like you said. Who are their centers? Jared Allen, who can't, Jared do, Allen. Anything, who can't do anything but Kevon, sit down low. Mooney, who can't do anything but sit down low. And Joseph Nurkic, who can't do anything but sit down low. Which now, is all they need to do. That's what a center is. All right. Now, hold on. Now, look at the best centers in the league. And, and then look at the worst centers in the league. If you, if you look at every center from 1 to 30 – how many of them can really run the point guard? 
How many big men? None of them. They're not supposed to run the point guard. Well, you could argue Nikola Jokic could be a point guard because of how good of a pass. Nikola Jokic could. Joel Embiid probably could. Carl Anthony Towns probably could. But outside of that. Al Horford, if he's not with Joel Embiid. But outside of that, Rudy Gobert can't. Lamarcus Aldridge can't. Uh, Porzingis. Because they don't need to. They don't need to run the point. They're but supposed to be down low and get blocks and Carl, get rebounds. Carl, Carl, Carl Anthony Towns has no point guard. Who does he have? He has Jeff Teague, maybe? I don't even think And he so. has uh, D'Angelo Russell. Oh, all right. Sorry, D'Angelo Russell. Okay, fine. LaMarcus Aldridge in San Antonio. Who's San Antonio's point guard? I don't know. They're so in a rebuilding phase. So oh. All right, great. Can LaMarcus Aldridge could – you, could you easily put LaMarcus Aldridge, who's better than, than, than Murray, to run the point? No. Rudy Gobert? Donovan Mitchell's a, a shooting guard, so I call him a point guard. Who do they have a point Mike guard? Michael Conley's the Jazz point guard. Mike Conley? All right. But still, getting up there in age. But Rudy Gobert can't slot in it and, and do that work. There's uh, The argument could easily be made that really the only positionless area is from point guard to, point guard to small forward for most players. Because a lot of small forwards have the athletic ability, the size of a big, and the athletic ability of, of a of a point guard. So that's kind of where things it, – it, it's, it's more of an anomaly to see big men that are as fluid as a point guard. Like, Anthony Davis is a great shooter. Porzingis is a great shooter. But they can't move the ball like a point guard can. Yeah, they're not designed to. Okay. But with players developing like that, LeBron James, the guy should be a power forward. But he has the physique to be a point guard. I think, if anything, the, the fact of being positionless adds to his legacy further. <coughs> well, no, no, no. It's not because he's positionless. It's because the league is positionless. They're like, really if you, you've named, like, what, like, seven out of the 30 teams in the NBA that have, like, a true center? I mean, like, what, like, Taco Fall of the Boston Celtics? No way in hell you're letting a 7-7 guy run the point, Summit, right? Miles Turner, Nikola Vucevic, Steven Adams, Marcus Saul, even though he can hit it from three, Brooke Lopez, Clint Capella, Jonas Valanciunas, DeAndre Ayton, he – even there's a lot of true centers in the league, but 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 again, that does that shows it isn't positionless. There are specific people that that are centers. There are specific there are specific players that are that are power forwards. A few power forwards can run the point guard. A lot of small forwards could really run anywhere because they have that that they are the cross between the big man and the small guy. A point guard can't can't run small forward. So really, again, positionless positionlessness only really runs small forwards can run the point. But that's really all it is. There is no true positionless league. I kind of want to tie back to the, the government because, you know, looking at, you know, players like Giannis Antetokounmpo, like the, all the players we mentioned that can take the ball, be a point guard and handle a facilitator and do everything out there in the court. They can do everything, but we haven't seen them, you know, go out and be a winner. In my mind, someone that's a GOAT is someone that is a winner. We look at players like Tom Brady, like Joe Montana, who have the good records in – in the final or have the good records in the Super Bowl, winning that, winning that in, in the NFL. Uh, same thing a lot of the like baseball teams, like we consider like the best baseball teams out there, like the New York Yankees, because they've won the most, the most uh, world series. Um, Michael Jordan compared to LeBron James, you can't deny this fact. He's won the most finals and yeah. done it consistently being six for six. So that's why in my mind, going back to the argument where we're talking about Michael Jordan is net, is currently better and less than LeBron James you know, somehow starts to, to put it together with the Lakers and go crazy and win a bunch of championships. I think right now you have to consider that Michael Jordan is still the GOAT. He's still the better player 
and LeBron James because of the winning, the accolades, all that stuff that's been with those championships, winning those finals. And he's every year he's been there for the six uh, six times made it to the finals and won the finals. So why is but also, Kobe, what do you mean? Why why isn't Kobe in the topic? Why is it always MJ LeBron? Why why isn't it MJ Kobe? Kobe should be in the topic too. I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking about this with a few of my other friends. And we were starting to think like, wow, like, you know, Kobe is kind of similar to Michael Jordan as well. And he should be in the conversation of GOAT as well because of those accolades, because he's been winning as well uh, with those finals championships with the Lakers as well. So that's an interesting argument there too. We could, what we I'm could gonna, start with Kobe in there. Go ahead, but Jeff, What I'm going to say here though with – in the case of Michael Jordan, if you look at his six championships and you look at who he beat in those championships rounds, I don't know – I'm not, I'm not 100% sure of his second – of his of his two and three, but he beat Michael, but he beat Magic Johnson, who's the greatest point guard of his generation. Then he goes on and he beats Carl Malone and John Stockton, two of the best players in their era. En route to get there, he had to beat Patrick Ewing and the and the New York Knicks, who were the bad boys of the late nineties. And he also had to beat the Detroit Pistons, who were the bad boys, the most physical team in the NBA, with you know guys that would like literally. If, I, I think they said in that episode, they said, if you weren't drawing blood, you weren't playing hard enough, essentially was what it was. Yeah, literally every time he touched the ball, they were pushing him. Yeah, so like, if you look at, with the exception of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, who are probably the only two guys on the Golden State Warriors before Kevin Durant who will be in the Hall of Fame, maybe Andre Iguodala, maybe, but Steph Curry and Klay Thompson sure fires. You cannot tell me that LeBron James beat the same skill Hall of Famers without the extra help, unlike Michael Jordan did. Because LeBron James couldn't get past Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. He couldn't get past them. So what does he do? He goes up and he calls up two other Hall of Famers. Well, Michael Jordan never did that. Well, LeBron James did. LeBron did did get past Pierce Garnett and, and Allen, but that was with only was, after he go and he calls two more Hall of Famers. All right, yeah. so Michael also, Jordan yeah, got lucky with the draft too. and the fact that Definitely they got Scottie Pippen. All right, hold on. Here's here's my third argument, and this is where I'm going to lead this, and I'm going to end. LeBron James, when he played on the Cavs from 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 2003 until 2010, I want I want you to look at the top players on that team. In, in all those years, Antoine Jameson, Mo Williams, and Anderson Verjao were the three best players that ever played on that team. Don't that forget about Big Z. Fucking sucked. Don't forget all about right. Big Z. Zatrunas <laughs> Ogowskis averaged four point, averaged seven points a game and six boards. <laughs> Don't give me that. I get it. I was like seven, like 12. But again, this team sucked. They had no money. They were the lowest financed team in the NBA. There was no way, unless you got really lucky with the draft, which they only did. Which they only got lucky until they sucked ass once he left and, got, and had Kyrie, and, got and then they Kyrie, yeah, and Tristan they had Thompson, Andy Bennett as a pick. Like the, they couldn't, they didn't get lucky in the draft. It wasn't, it wasn't LeBron's fault. They had no money. He couldn't convince anybody to go to Cleveland. You could try to trade those pieces to get those draft picks, and then get lucky in the lottery right. and build up. Yeah, but Mo Williams doesn't carry that value when you're only averaging 15 points a game. You're well, guys like Jameson. I think that Jameson only averaged Jameson averaged fourteen seven and three. Again, nothing special. Hmm. These aren't with, special players he played with. 
In the case of LeBron, like, and this is the argument I will make for LeBron. He goes straight from the from high school to the NBA, and he's automatically he's one of the most dominant players. It's something that we didn't see again until us like Luca, and he didn't even come from he came from overseas. He comes in and he absolutely tears up the league 100%. He's already a 96 and 2K, and he's like what a second se- a second <laughs> second season player. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. For Michael Jordan, though. When he couldn't get like, and this is where like I'm gonna I'm really gonna harp on this. When he couldn't get past the teams that were beating him, the Birds and the Rodmans and the Ewings, he would go and he would he wouldn't bitch and whine. He would work his ass off in the gym and he would get his teammates to work their ass off so that they could go with that one goal in mind. Because like I said, someone says something to Michael Jordan that he doesn't like, he's going to put that in his steel trap memory and he's going to carry that with them with him until he goes and he plays him again. Where when LeBron couldn't get past the Celtics, he had to go and find help where he could have easily been like, well, why doesn't, why doesn't D-Wade leave Miami and come play with me in Cleveland? Why doesn't Chris Fox yeah. leave Toronto and come play with me in Cleveland? To go back to Steve's point, too, like, you can try to inspire guys like Mo Williams, like, hey, like, start getting in the gym, work on your shot, make your threes, have airs and bears out, start to expand out from behind, from inside the paint and start to hit those threes and expand his range, get more space for LeBron to drive inside. Antoine Jameson, too, whoever was on that roster, like, encourage your players to really get in the gym, work on their shots, work on their strength. And like like Michael Jordan did, and then we can talk about him winning with Cleveland. But watching LeBron go to Los Angeles, watching LeBron go to Los Angeles, where he is essentially going to retire because he's he's won his three, he fulfilled his promise to Cleveland and left. He filled he fulfilled his promise to Cleveland only after running away and then winning and then coming back. Like so, he he runs away, he goes he goes and wins, and he's like, okay, this is how I do it. Hey Kyrie, hey Kevin Love, hey Tristan Thompson, I'm on my way, but hold up real quick, I'm gonna come and we're gonna we're gonna go to four straight finals and win one of three, and then basically get swept. The Golden State Warriors were OP. We're not gonna that you know Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and uh, Steph Curry. That's unfair. But with the but the matter of the fact is is that when Michael brought six to his drafted town and never complained about anything. And all he did was work harder when he lost LeBron didn't Iran and then figured it out and then came back. So two things. One, we don't know if LeBron James was encouraging his teammates. We got to realize too, they went to the, they went to the finals and, and, and were swept by the Spurs in his third year. Is, is everyone really going to really go and listen to twenty one year old in the room when you have guys the guys in their thirties that are playing? I don't think I don't think you're as respected, and I get it. You are the chosen one. The cover of Sports Illustrated at eighteen years old. You won the Akron uh, State Championship four years in a row at, at St. Vincent St. Mary. But who cares? You're twenty one years old. Your third your third year in the league. You're averaging thirty points a game, and you go to the NBA Finals. Not to mention, and now let's just look at it. it in a, in a hypothetical right here. And we've been, we've been on this for almost 45 minutes. LeBron James goes to the finals in 06. He beats Arenas and the Wizards. He beats Kidd and, Kidd and Carter at, uh, in the Nets. And then he beats the Pistons with Billups, Hamilton, and Ben Wallace. 
and then gets swept by Ginobili, Parker, and Duncan. You would think, hmm, they beat some really good teams, teams that all won over, over, over 50 games. Let's try and see if we can bring in some good free agent pieces, and, let, and let's see if we can build on it. You know who's the biggest ad they bought in the next year? Delonte West. Nothing special. The guy made $4 million a year in a class where you could have gotten Gilbert Arenas on the team because he was a free agent that year. Or a restricted one, but you still could have got him. You could have gotten some very quality players. The three players that they bought in were Daniel Gibson, Larry Hughes. Sorry, not, not Larry Hughes. Shannon Brown and Delonte West. Who cares? Nothing special about, about this team at all. Who is the who is the guy that they could have brought in? Gilbert Arenas. Arenas. Is he in the Hall of Fame? Is no, he a player? No. Is he a player that we talk about as one of the greatest of all time? He was one of the best in the decade. Until he was one of the best of the time, though. He's a really good scoring okay. player. But when LeBron goes and he heads up to Miami, he's calling on guys that are proven as a as, in terms of longevity. The reason why the reason why that super team happened in Miami instead of in Cleveland is because D-Wade already won a championship in Miami. Yeah. D-Wade, he won D-Wade a championship. Yeah, D-Wade wasn't going to leave because he already won a championship. So if D-Wade – if D-Wade's like, oh, dude, like if, if, if LeBron wins a championship before D-Wade, then D-Wade comes to Cleveland. But, well, because, other- D- but because Dwayne won the championship in Miami, Le- LeBron's like, oh, you've won. Hey, I think that this guy knows what he's talking about. So the ball's in your court. This is your city. This is your town. I'm just going to come and steal a spotlight for four years, win a couple ships, and then I'm going to take my talents but back. Dwayne Wade won heavily on the shoulders, shoulders of, of one of the greatest centers of all time. He did. But you that, look at – don't know. But what D. Wade had that LeBron didn't have was he had that until he was forced out of Miami, which essentially Jordan was forced out of Chicago. If once D. Wade was only forced out of Miami when he had nothing in the tank and he goes and he plays for Chicago, that is where we consider D. Wade to be the greatest Miami Heat of all time. And it's not LeBron James and it's not Shaquille O'Neal. D. Wade was still a young learning point guard because like you said, who's going to listen to the 21 year old? They're not going to listen to D. Wade. They're going to listen to Shaq who won three championships with Kobe. Two championships. Hey, guess what? And guess what? The Bulls listened to Michael Jordan, who the year prior averaged 35 points a game. Go. He was an MVP candidate. LeBron MVP candidate was 21 years old. You're a kid. You're younger than me. How much gravitas do I have in a locker room if I, if I played? Probably zero. Because I'm the loud mouth who, who runs stats all day. At the end of the day, you got <laughs> to look at it, at it from, this, for, from this point. The Cavs had no money. The Bulls had money. The Bulls got lucky – in the draft, they bought in the pieces they needed. The Cavs didn't have the money. Uh, Dave, yeah. Who's the, owner's, who's the owner's name? Dave Griffin? Of the Cavs? Yeah. I have no idea. But you're right. You're right. The Cavs, the Cavs didn't have the means. And, the other and, option for LeBron James was going to be go to, go to Manhattan and bring, and bring Melo with you. And it didn't happen, but Melo still won anyways. Like, at the end of the day, LeBron James wasn't going to win anything in Cleveland anyways. So don't don't discount the fact that oh he left his home. Don't give me that bullshit. Players leave. Ray Allen yeah. left Ray Allen left the Sonics. Harden left the Harden left OKC. Kevin Durant, who might, for all we know, might be better than LeBron James in the future solely of his pure ability to score, went to Golden State because he couldn't win his ring. Don't give me that. 
Well, I'm going to give you that because despite everything that you mentioned, Michael Jordan kind of, they, the, the Bulls kind of had that perfect storm where they had the pieces and they had the means in place to, to, to do well. Like you need, like it, like this is where they say a championship isn't one on the floor. The championship is one with the, with the whole, with the whole team. Like yeah. you need the general manager and you need the owner and you need the head coach to all the be in cahoots. The greatest coach, the greatest GM, the greatest owner. But even when things were in despair in Chicago, when Scottie Pippen requests a trade to leave because he is severely underpaid, seven years, $18 million. I mean, you're paying Brock Holt that. You're paying Brock Holt that kind of money. When you, and again, all right, I get a different, different era, but even when things are in despair, when Jerry um, Krause is saying, I don't care if Phil goes 82 and 0, he's out the door. Phil could easily just be like, all right, shit, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to win 20 games this year instead of going out and proving that without all the front office noise, he could still, and he, he could still come and he could win a second three peat. And I get it. You, you're like, oh, well, but there's no, like LeBron had no winning situation in Cleveland. Don't give me that. He went to the finals when he was in Cleveland. He just couldn't get over the hump because he ran into the San Antonio Spurs and Greg Popovich. He went to the finals in Cleveland almost on a whim. They won 50 games that year, and Larry Hughes had the only decent year in his entire career. The team so you're telling me that, that in, in the NBA finals that year, that that should have been – like, that doesn't even count. That doesn't count for anything. No, it absolutely counts. But the fact – all right. The Cavs make, making the finals in 06 was the Mets making the World Series in 2015. Shouldn't have really happened. It was like the Giants beating the Patriots in, in 07. Shouldn't have happened. They were 18-0, and 0 and, they, and they lost on a Tyree helmet catch and a missed rebound by, by Pat Sean in the end zone. It's like you, you, you're getting there on a whim. But also, they beat, they beat, they beat the Wizards four games to one. They beat, they, they beat the Nets four games to two. I believe they took that. They took the down the distance in six. Like, you're, like these are good teams that they're still beating. Where LeBron James is, is averaging thirty points a game for for nine years, and the next best player is averaging fifteen. There, you weren't going to get that until you went to Miami and you had Wade averaging twenty, uh, Bosh averaging fourteen and nine. Like, you needed something there. Let's be honest too. That that second three peat. If you di- if you don't have Pippen, Rodman, Kerr, whoever it is, honestly, Steve Kerr is probably the most underrated player in that entire on the entire team. If you really if you really look at the numbers and from the, and, from, and from the documentary, they might not win if you don't if, if you get rid of one of those supporting members. Pippen, Rodman, Kerr, insert name here. Like like the team was good, but Jordan still needed pieces around him. The first three maybe because it was a young Pippen and didn't have Rodman, but. At the same time, just think about it. You still need a cast around you at the end of the day. Paul Pierce wouldn't have wouldn't have won in Boston if it wasn't for Allen and Garnett. Who, might I add, Pierce got them from uh, the Timberwolves, and I believe it was the Sonics at, at the time uh, with Allen. Like, the, these teams come together because they want to win. They, they create super teams. Shaq left L.A., they bought in Pau Gasol, and they bought in uh, Andrew Bynum, and Derek Fisher still stuck around. Lamar Odom came in, and Kobe was, and, and Kobe was the same again. Tulips are the packages. I am – oh, my God, I hate you. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and my sister bombs the show. Fantastic. <laughs> Don't you just love that? 
right right when I'm in my heat, like I'm dead Levitard. <laughs> but again. That's because that's a sign right there. That's a sign. That, that, Jordan that's, Goat. That's Jordan Goat. My goat's LeBron James. Yours is Michael Jordan. I want to hear whatever – I want whoever listens to yeah. this to give us comments. We've got to vote on this somehow. Mine's Michael I think Jordan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a clip of each of our arguments, and I'm going to leave it up to the this – the, This is the most I've ever argued on a topic in my entire career. All right. So before we move on to our final topic, I kind of – oh, shoot, camera. Don't have that problem on radio, do you? Um. One, the last thing I kind of want to talk about is I kind of want to talk about the dismantling of the Bulls. I know you guys haven't seen the last episode yet, um, but uh, it is it is it is mostly known that Jerry Krause said um, after in '98, Jerry Krause said, "No matter what happens, three peat, no three peat, the Bulls are going to dismantle their dynasty." Mm-hmm. After watching the end of the documentary, I kind of thought to myself, I said, wow, we have seen a lot of dynasties in the wrong way, i.e. Tom Brady leaving the Patriots in, uh, in a contract dispute with Bill Belichick. Uh, and then also with the Yankees, A-Rod being suspended um, for PEDs and Mariano Rivera blowing World Series games uh, to the Arizona Diamondbacks of all teams. I mean, like we've seen dynasties like this just kind of fizzle out and just watch it grow old and die slowly what's up that and kobe too they're, even Jack and kobe but they were still in their prime yeah but the, I'm, I'm kind of talking about dynasties that have fizzled out because players kind of left oh, their prime oh, yeah. um with the bulls they decided to rebuild a year after a championship which is something you don't see so do you think that that is a model that should be used? And now I guess I'm just talking to Eric now. In, in terms <laughs> of all sports, do you think that that is a model that should be used uh, across all leagues and all teams when disassembling dynasties? Because we don't know when the next dynasty could be. But yeah. for the next one, should, that, should it be dismantled in, that, in the same way? To speak in the Bulls dynasty, I think it ended a, a earlier than it should have been based on Jer- kind of Jerry Krause alone with kind of like, the actions and his words that he said and, you know, kind of like thinking the team was all about him and how he put everything together. Like he was saying like halfway through the 98 season that regardless of what happens, Phil Jackson's not coming back. That was the prime reason that Jordan was going to stay because he wouldn't want to play for any other coach at that time besides Phil Jackson. And that's why, you know, Scotty Pippen was having that contract issue as well. And that's why he got traded or he went to the, the Blazers after that as well. So I think it was kind of just the management and in terms of Jerry Krause, kind of like what he did that kind of led to the end of that dynasty. Um, I don't think it ended the way right way it should have, but yeah, I think definitely if your dynasty is about to end and everyone's starting to, you know, get old and you're not winning, then, you know, start to rebuild, start to trade assets. Like what the, what the Celtics did with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, when they were starting to reach the last years of their lives and they weren't starting to win anymore they immediately traded them to the Nets and got great picks that they used to create, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, those big pieces that were able to make the team the way it is today. So in terms of the Bulls ending the way it did, I think it was rushed. I think it was management's fault for the reason why that ended. Um, But yeah, I think if your team is starting to decline, only when your team is starting to decline and you notice that, then you just start to say, okay, maybe we need to, let these guys go. It's time to start something new. But the way the Bulls dynasty ended, it ended the wrong way. And maybe it could have been 
extend it out for another year or two. I think they still had a couple more years. I, I think MJ uh, said something really interesting in the, in the last episode. And uh, for those of you listening, bit of a spoiler here. Um, okay. He watched the years. show uh, that, that of uh, Reisdorf and Kraus both said that – well, Kraus said after the 98 season, Phil, Phil was gone. His contract was up. Scotty, uh, Scotty's co- contract was up. Uh, MJ's was up as well. well. Scotty got traded. Yeah, well, yeah, well, Scotty was traded. But my, Michael had said that, and you can look at it in the numbers. He, every year, he consistent, consistently been taking one-year contracts, just kind of rolling through, muddling through on one-year deals. Scotty was getting paid next to nothing. Michael said I, he would have absolutely taken a one-year contract if it meant a fourth. Like, they could have easily done it. Phil right. Jackson, take a one-year yeah. deal on a fourth. They knew it was going to come to an end at some point because you had three players that, that, that were going to blow the hell up in terms of money. Even if MJ didn't leave, he was, he was still going to get a massive contract had he stayed uh, for those couple of years before going to the Wizards. But these, these players had to get paid. Phil Jackson was going to get paid. He was the most sought-after coach for four years even prior to winning these rings. So, honestly, at the end of the day – if Michael had that kind of that kind of respect, which he did, and that, and that 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 gravitas in the locker room to say, hey, like, just take a one year contract, let's win a fourth, and let's let's close the legacy and just win seven, and and and, and solidify ourselves as the greatest ever. And they could have easily done it. I just think it. I agree, it was rushed. And if you look at these franchises that that their that their dynasties fall off, we might be seeing it now with the Golden State Warriors just due to injury. Um, how players are getting hurt. They're not able to to overcome. Clay Thompson's gone. Kevin Durant's gone. They they're not going to fold. They're going to they're going to reload. Players are players are, are are becoming free agents, but they want their chance to win the ring. I feel like they could have easily all taken one year deals, and it it did end too soon, in my opinion. Watching watching that last episode made me feel a little bit better about the Patriots dynasty and the way that it ended because. I think you both are right. You know, you you want to see the team play at least one more year after a championship to see if you could have done it. Yeah. That's not to say that they would. Um, but coming off two straight championships, to say, knowing what we know, and it's probably different knowing what we know today, but knowing what we know today, if because it's so hard to go back-to-back in any sport, you know, we haven't seen it since – well, Golden State did it a couple of years ago, but – before that, you know, like we're talking the the Heat. Okay, so outside of basketball, um, you know, we're talking like the Patriots repeating in in uh, 03, 04. But you know, the Yankees on roids did it, and then before that, you know, we're talking like the 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 Braves or or the Dodgers. Like, like I don't know, man. Like I'm not like if you have a chance to win four straight championships, something that's never been done outside of what's happened in the NHL or the fifties, the Yankees in the fifties or the Celtics in the sixties. I mean, like you will have an opportunity to do something very special. And in an era of free agency where players have a shit ton of power to say, I want to go play for this team and this coach. And LeBron James is essentially the general manager of the LA Lakers. You know, he goes and he goes and he says, I want to bring in Anthony Davis. I want to bring in Kawhi Leonard. I want to bring in Danny Green and and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm only going to play with Ty Lue, although that didn't even happen. Um, But 
when you have, so when you have an opportunity to do something super special, why would you come out and say, we're going to dismantle it no matter what? You're in the middle of, of one of the greatest runs of all time. Well, the, the one thing I'll say on that, and this is what Nick Saban has been dealing with in Alabama Bama for years, is when to retire. Because he, he, well, he, for, for Nick Saban, he isn't, going to, he isn't going to the NFL. He's found success as a coach. But the, the argument could definitely be made. They ended it at the right time because, like you said, what if they didn't win that fourth? What if they kind of just crashed and burned? It's, you, your legacy is a lot more uh, intact if you, if you leave with a ring than if you leave with a loss. Like, Nick Saban will never retire from college football until he wins another ring. He, if he loses the next four years with Alabama, the, if in the fifth year he wins, he's going to retire at that point. He's just waiting for the time. I think Michael Jordan, and now obviously his legacy doesn't get as tarnished even though he went to the Wizards because he still is the greatest. But I feel like retiring on a re, retiring and leaving a dynasty on a ring rather rather than a failed season is a little more impressive in my opinion. It gives you a, gives you a little bit more pride in what you had. One thing I do want to say, though, is that this is a special case because Michael Jordan retired from basketball as the best player in the league, and that was undisputed. Yeah. Michael Jordan was the reigning MVP, and then he retired. Like, that doesn't happen today. Well, like, it it, it could happen with LeBron. Who knows? If If they win the finals next year, let's say, or the finals in three years, and then when he's 40 years old, he's like, oh, I'm so done, but all right, I'll give it one more year. And then he crashes and burns, and and let's say he pulls a Kobe and, and and he tears his Achilles in the last year, or or in the second to last year, and and it's like, dude, like you're basically beating the beating a dead horse at this point. Just retire already. It's do you want to be known as having your last season of injuries and you're averaging ten points a game, the lowest since your rookie year, and you're just kind of dying at the seams and everyone sees it. Like yeah, it's different in baseball because you have because you have the walk off tour, Mo Rivera, Adrian Beltre, these players that that yeah they weren't putting up the numbers, but they were still very decent players at at, at their time. Beltre was still a great defender. Beltre even said it said it in an interview if I went, if I did one more year I would have died. Like there there's yeah there's no big poppy too. I mean, there there are two ways that players go out. You go out on your own terms, or you go out until the jersey's ripped off your back. Yeah. Michael Jordan chose to go out on his own terms. You know, that's his choice. I'm not, there's nothing against him for doing that. But I think that the whole situation was managed very poorly by Jerry Krause. I think that I, and now, knowing what I know now with watching the Patriots dynasty fizzle out, but you know, they're, we forget that the Patriots are one year removed from their last Super Bowl championship. Mm-hmm. They go to the wild card round, they lose in the wild card round. I would rather see, like, as for my sat for my personal satisfaction. Yes, I'm sad that Tom Brady's not a Patriot lifer, but I would rather know that they didn't have another shot with the current team than think what if. I agree. Yeah. And so for Michael Jordan, he said he very clearly said, "I constantly think about that what if, if we had all signed a one year deal to go try to win a fourth or a seventh." 
you know, four in a row, seven, all, seven altogether. He constantly thinks about that. What if I wouldn't be able to sleep with myself at night? If I had a chance, if I had a chance to do something differently, like I think all the time, like what if I had done something different with college? Like what if I had pursued track instead of, instead of journalism? Like if I went to college to go run track, my life would be totally different. If Michael Jordan had, had won that fourth in a row instead of retiring after that third, because management essentially forced him out, but still retired on his own terms. You know, he thinks about that. What if, if he had, even if he had played and lost in that fourth year, you know, he's still, they still, they, you know, he got to see what would have happened. And then you can make the decision to go and dismantle because those players still have value. Phil Jackson is still one of the most proven coaches in the NBA. Michael Jordan's still the greatest of all time. Scottie Pippen's still a terrific role player. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you know, you, you answer that question. And if they win Absolutely. the fourth, then they are undisputed, the greatest dynasty that has ever seen the light of day. Absolutely. It's a win-win. It's a win-win in, in that sense. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Kerr, any final thoughts before we move on? Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said. You know, it's it's good to go out in a championship and win it the way they did in that very trouble-ensuing 97-98 season. But I feel like, you know, like I said, I'm going to hold by this. I feel like Watching the documentary, you really see how Jerry Krause was kind of the end-all, be-all for why the dynasty did end as it did. And I just think if there was, you know, a different way that situation was handled at that time, because no discredit to Jerry Krause, he essentially made the team the way it was and how good it was with his decisions to get Jordan Pippen, all those guys. I think if he handled that situation differently, we could be looking at potentially four championships in a row. So I think on that note, it's time to – Take a quick little break. All right, Jack? Yes, let's take a quick pause. When we come back, we are going to be debating. We won't debate, but we will compare lists of who are the greatest sports athletes to never win a championship. You are watching slash listening to the Mac and Main Show. Everybody jump, 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 jump. listening on Spotify and our podcast and or watching watching us on YouTube. Welcome back to the show. Eric Kerr from the N1 show on WQAQ is joining us, our resident NBA expert. We just finished a monstrous debate on who is the GOAT, LeBron James versus MJ. Hopefully you've listened to it. Please leave your comments to us on our Twitter at Mac and Main if you have any concerns or if you want to weigh in. But now we're on to our second of our two debates of, of the day. The top 10 players to never win a ring. Now, this is across the four major sports. Uh, every single player outside of one, who is one of my players, but on the back end of his career, they're all retired. That was that was our one rule. Uh, Jack and I have curated our lists. Eric will be getting ours. Uh, will be giving us his uh, after the show. And, and, and all three will go on our Twitter. Again, at Mac and Main. Be sure to check those out. Comment, like, retweet. Give us your thoughts on our lists. But... Without further ado, Jack, I guess we should uh, kind of list them down. We're going to list them down, yeah, uh, one through ten, and then kind of give our uh, our debate, give give some topics, see where we feel, why we feel they're there, and and where the uh, discrepancies are. So, Jack, I'm going to let you lead us off on this. All right, so here we go. So this is replacing our top. This is our top ten segment. 
that we have been doing for the past couple of weeks here. Originally, we did top 10 quarterbacks. Uh, last week, we did, what was it? Well, top, top five, five business five. Yeah. Top five business personalities in American sports. So this goes right into that category. So the top 10 players never to win a ring. My number one is Teddy Ballgame, Ted Williams. I'm not going to do much, too much explaining, but uh, Ted Williams is known as the greatest hitter who ever lived. Um, face of the Red Sox franchise until David Ortiz came along. So that is why he is uh, on my list. He was in the middle of that 86 game or that 86 season drought for the Red Sox. Number two, Barry Sanders, uh, arguably the greatest running back of all time, um, played for the Detroit Lions, held, held the record for most yards by a running back, never won a Super Bowl in Detroit, one of the most dysfunctional franchises in the history of professional sports. Number three, Dan Marino, just missed that uh, undefeated era where Miami was arguably the greatest NFL franchise to ever be around. Number four, a guy that I personally hate is Charles Barkley. I, I just don't like the guy whatsoever. Thank God that MJ beat him in the finals when he was with the Suns. Number five, Ken Griffey Jr., the kid. Ken Griffey Jr. is the guy that brought swag into baseball, and thank God he did. He, he made baseball cool, let's be real. Playing with his hat backwards, playing with his shirt untucked, and hitting absolute nukes. Guy hit over 600 home runs, stole bases. He was a 5 tool player, one of the greatest to ever do it. Number six, Elgin Baylor kind of gets lost in that shuffle in terms of who the greatest uh, Los Angeles Lakers are of all time. So definitely think that he uh, deserves a little bit of clout. Number seven, Allen Iverson, AI, never won a ring in Philadelphia, never won a ring in Denver. Um, Number one overall draft pick, NBA MVP, overlooked because he was short, made it happen though. However, he never won a championship. Number eight, Carl Yastrzemski, Yaz, the last player before Miguel Cabrera to win the Triple Crown in the American League, led the league in home runs, uh, average, and RBIs in one season. Uh, He did that in the 70s or 80s. I can't pinpoint the year. I should know that. I am a diehard Red Sox fan, but no one was able to accomplish that feat until Miguel Cabrera did in 2012. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest Red Sox of all time. Number nine, Randy Moss. He came oh so close in 2007 when he played on the undefeated Patriots team. Shout out David Tyree. And then number eight is Henrik Lundqvist. I don't know too much about the NHL, but uh, I'm going to trust Steve's judgment on the fact that if he is a one of the greatest players to never win a NHL Stanley Cup. And up until, what, two years ago, Alex Ovechkin would have been on the list, but he wanted he won a ship with the Capitals, so um, he remains off this list. I'm sure he's glad about that. But Henry Lundqvist rounds out my top ten to never – the greatest to never win a ring. My ten are actually very similar to yours. If anything, there's probably a little uh, shakeup within two, and then the order is a little different. So my number one is, is, uh, is Ken Griffey Jr. You have him at, at number five. 13-time All-Star, AL MVP, four-time home run leader, comeback player of the year, RBI leader. Uh, retired by the Reds, retired by the Mariners, who should have been the the first unanimous uh, Hall of Famer ever. Uh, if, it, if it wasn't for that one a hole from, uh, I think it was, I think he was a uh, a Dodgers fan. Was I salty about the uh, about 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 uh, the Mariners? But he should have been the first the first unanimous uh, Hall of Famer ever. Griffey's again, like you said, bought swagger into the league. Number two, you and I agree on Barry Sanders. In my opinion, the, the greatest running back of all time uh, with that elite Detroit Detroit Lions running game. Uh, I had a coach back in high school, Coach Stephen Boyd. He was a uh, middle linebacker for that team. Played with Barry Sanders towards the back end of his career. Said he has never seen anybody 
with the work ethic that Barry Sanders had, this guy would go out against his own team, his own defense, his own first team defense, and try and beat up on his players. I, I remember my coach used to always used to always harp about how he didn't care whether you were on on his team, not on his team, a friend or not. He was going to beat you in, in any way he could. Number three is your number one, Ted Williams, uh, Mr. Baseball, the guy, the, the first to bat uh, 400. An absolute, an absolute legend in his own right. Not, the, not the first to bat 400, the last. Oh, the last to bat 400. Well, yeah. was it, wasn't he the first first in the live ball era? Yes, first in the live ball era, but like Ty Cobb, like, right. like Again, 400 most. Dead ball era, 69 hours footballs. Number four is actually a duo. Uh, it's Malone and Stockton. We talked about how, how MJ took down the Jazz uh, for his last ring. But Malone and Stockton had one of the most un- had one of the most unstoppable pick and rolls of all time. And the fact the fact that they weren't able to bring home a ring, they didn't have a lot of depth on the back end outside of, uh, outside of Jeff Hornacek as their three. But the team, for no, no matter how good Malone and Stockton was as a duo, they were never able to get over the hump. Number five, Dan Marino. Had Dan Marino been on on the '74 Dolphins, that team would have been absolutely immortalized. The first to throw for over 5,000 yards. An absolute legend in his own right. Number six, we agreed on this one. Elgin Baylor, with teams like Jerry, with teams that included Jerry West and Kareem and Wilt, everyone forgets that Elgin Baylor really held down the small forward position for this team and was a huge benefactor in everything. And he happened to he happened to have been on those teams in that like four year run that they didn't win at all, which is so unfortunate for a player of his caliber. Top twenty five all time in points, assists, rebounds, you name it, he's up there. Number seven, Randy Moss, like we said, uh, in 07 with my guy, uh, Eli Manning. As you can see, the, uh, the giant signs in the back. Uh, took down the Patriots on a, on a David Tyree catch and a blown coverage by Patrick Chung. That allowed Plastico Burst to score. But Randy Moss, you know him. You know him as one of the first for the one-handed catches before OBJ uh, could do it all. It was Randy Moss. Number eight, Tony Gonzalez, the greatest tight end of all time. I don't care what anybody else says about it. It's not Rob Gronkowski. It is Tony Gonzalez. The man had everything going for him, and then unfortunately, things kind of things kind of fell off. None to his own none to his own problem. He led 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 tight ends in yards for eight years for eight years of his illustrious career between the Chiefs and the Falcons. Number nine, AI Jack already gave his his whole analysis on him. And number 10, you and I agreed on this one, Henrik Lundqvist. He's in his final – one of the final years of his career. Came oh so close with the Rangers, but they lost to the Kings in the 2015, uh, 2013 championship, I believe. Went to the playoffs three times with the Rangers. Uh, lost to the Kings and the Tampa Bay Lightning. But Henrik Lundqvist is probably the greatest goalie – is by far the greatest goalie to never win a ring. Probably the greatest NHL player to never win a ring either, in my opinion. So that's my top 10. I want to hear from Eric Kerr. What What are your thoughts on our lists? Uh, is there anybody who you feel that we left off? Or if you happen to have curated a, a list, please give us your thoughts. Eric, you're on mute. Eric's on mute. My apologies. I was, I was typing what you guys had to say. Um, no, I, uh, I agree with both of your lists, I think you have definitely some some good athletes here. Some players I personally didn't even know uh, didn't even win finals. Like Dan Marino, for example. Like we were talking before we went on, like, oh yeah, Dan Marino won a Super Bowl with that undefeated Dolphins team. Nope. But again, you look at the, the numbers he's put up, and that's truly tremendous. I mean, Barry Sanders is definitely someone that screams like great athlete in my mind, along with the 
numbers that he put up. I think he's a great thing as well. A lot of football players I see up here. I also wanted to throw in maybe Calvin Johnson too. Now, again, like he's a very good weapon for the Lions as well. That was just a very dominant receiver, had a short career with the Lions, but put up numbers as well. Really good receiver, kind of like a Randy Moss kind of build per se. But that was the only one I could have thought of. But, yeah, I definitely see lists are very similar, some good athletes up there. I don't know if I would have put Ted Williams so high at number one on Jack's list personally because you have those other athletes like a Ken Griffey Jr. or a Barry Sanders. But, again, that's just my opinion. You know, I'm not really a baseball guy, so I see more of, like, you know, football, basketball. Uh, hockey is, like, kind of like a more, like, athletic sports in terms of athletes per se. But, you know, that's, those are kind of my opinion. I think the lists are pretty good. Definitely some good stars up there, for and sure. The only, the, the only player that the only other player that I kind of thought of was Tony Gwynn Jr. Uh, so, so, sorry, Tony Gwynn Sr. My bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Padres. Yeah. Tony Gwynn was was prior to his uh, whatever he died of. I, I'm drawing a blank. I think it was. Uh, I think he died of a heart attack. Yeah. Uh, prior to, prior to his death was one of the greatest, just pure athletes. His speed, his athleticism uh, in the outfield was, was second to none. Mr. Padre, he, he's now been known as. And he played on a great team, too, with Dave Winfield and co. Like, the, that team should have won rings. Unfortunately, they didn't. But he was really the only other yeah. athlete that I thought of. Outside of Carly Skremski, who, uh, who, Jack, who Jack put down. Yeah, I mean, like, he ran that – those teams ran into the New York Yankees and the Atlanta Braves of the early 90s. And, and it just – it wasn't going to work out. I mean, Tony Gwynn if – the, if the 94 shortened season had never happened, people say that Tony Gwynn would have been the first player – uh, since, excuse me, since Ted Williams to hit 400 in a single season. Unfortunately, we never got to see that play out. Tony Gwynn, may he rest in peace. And what, what made him so unique was that he, he was a big dude. Like he had, he had some size to him and he, uh, and he ran really well and he hit for contact. He wasn't really known as a power guy. Um, definitely one of, uh, definitely a guy that, that could deserve to be on this list, but didn't play terribly long or didn't have too, uh, too, too, too long of a prime. But I mean, I mean, like it's hard to think of guys off the top of my head. The only reason why I put Ted Williams so high on my list is because being a devoted Red Sox fan, you learn about the history and the pain that that team went through. And to hear Ted Williams lose twice in the world series to the St. Louis Cardinals, it breaks your heart, even though you weren't even alive to, to know that, Ted Williams was never alive to see a Red Sox World Series is very sad. And I mean, let's face it. I mean, the guy is, had he not lost four years of his prime to military service, we're talking about possibly the greatest baseball player who ever lived. He already had hit 500 home runs. He already hit, you know, 300 or above that for his career. So, I mean, one of the greatest he led the career leader in ops you know one of the like, greatest to ever do that, that alone sh- should put him like him over the top and i agree with you but i mean ted like ted williams was a great player but griffey being the uh, but really the anomaly that he was in terms of pure speed power contact everything he was the true five tool athlete of the 90s and then barry sanders like we said was one of the most yeah was one of the most ferocious. I feel like Ted Williams just falls short, short of the mark. I think it's going to be interesting because this list will change probably in five years' time with players retiring and players un- unable to make it. If Mike Trout ne- never wins one, he'll easily ju- jump to number one on the list uh, and then so, and, and so on. But, you know, th- again, this list this list is going to be uh, 
ever changing, and it's going to be, be very interesting to see who will end up making yeah. it. Yeah, and but and it almost seems unfair to be ranking these guys because, like, I'm not going to disagree. Steve's list is fine. Like, I I have no problem ranking Griffey above Ted Williams because Ken Griffey is. One of the most polarizing figures. Like, the guy hit over 600 home runs, and he was, like – and he was a fan favorite. He played in Vermont for a season. People don't really know that. Um, But (laughs) – Really now? Oh, yeah. They – double-A affiliate of the Seattle Mariners. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Vermont Mariners was what they were called. So, so apparently, Jack knows all history on Vermont because, you know, he lives there. I don't know all history on Vermont. I just (laughs) – I just – I just like to talk to Jerry every now and then. What was the Um, uh, Catamounts record last year? I don't know. They won the American East. Would have would have beat uh, would have beat Albany to go to the uh, or would have beat Hartford rather to go to the uh, to go to the to go to the dance. It wasn't like uh, Quinnipiac was going to be in anyway. <laughs> but no, I mean, um, yeah, this list is, is is it's a shame. Like you feel bad making it, but you know, you just look at some of the great the greats who have just never been able to get to the top. So Charles Barkley, I have no sympathy for that guy. That guy needs to get off TNT right now. Well, also think about it this way. Uh, before we uh, move on, move on to our final segment, players like like Chipper Jones on that Braves team that they only won one uh, one championship. They, they they won a pennant like six years in a row, but they could never finish outside of that one year. I want to say it was uh, in the late uh, in the, the very late nineties or the early two thousands because the dynasty kind of ran in. But Chipper Jones only won one. Obi's only won one. Uh, Miguel Cabrera. Ha- only has one ring as well. So, like, these teams could have easily uh, gone winless, but they managed yeah. to. So, I want to move on to our final thing. Again, uh, check out our Twitter, at Mac and Main, for our lists, including Eric Kerr's list, that will come up uh, in the coming days. So, be sure to check that out. Our final thing, uh, I wanted to look at, now that states are starting to kind of phase in their openings uh, due to coronavirus, because if, you if you've been living under a rock for the last three months, uh, yeah, we're still in quarantine. Um, I'm not. Well, eh. well you, 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 your next door neighbor is a moose. So, uh, so. <laughs> hey, Paul, how you doing? Oh, oh, this Paul Dice. So, I want to do ride a, his bike. I want to do a little segment called this or that. Wait, wait, moose ride bikes? Anyways, shut up. No, he's a teacher. So, so this or that. <laughs> wow, moose are teachers too. So this or that. Uh, I'm gonna give you guys two different topics. Uh, Jack, don't look and don't spoil it. Oh, don't look. Okay. I'm going to ask I don't, you. I've, I've only even glanced it over. This is my bad preparation. I'm going to ask <laughs> you uh, two different things that are going to be coming in the near future in the next probably three or four months uh, back to sports that, that have already been confirmed. And I want you guys to tell me what you're more interested in seeing uh, opening up. So I'm going to start off two things that, that have came back this past weekend, NASCAR, uh, NAS, NASCAR, and Bundesliga soccer, uh, German league soccer. I know Will Fowler and Jonathan Banks are, are going wild right now over it. What are you more interested in watching, considering those are the only sports available right now? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really watch soccer or NASCAR, but I used to always like get a kick out of NASCAR when I was younger, just watching like cars race around the track. So I don't know. Maybe if I'm bored, I'll watch NASCAR. But you know. No offense to soccer, I just am not big about watching like Premier League or German soccer, or even MLS. Like I'm just not a big soccer guy. I played soccer when I was like eight years old, and Whatever. let's just say I scored like three lifetime goals between the span of like four to eight years of age. So it wasn't my thing. So I didn't really stick with yeah. it. So I'm going NASCAR. There's nothing. There's nothing exciting about NASCAR. 
what guys driving <laughs> fast making left hand turns said if there was the only option if i was bored, i'm watch picking it. soccer dude soccer is the world sport <laughs> all right so, all right soccer. so my next thing turns to the world of video games uh the pga announced they're going to be releasing pga 2k21 the first time they've come back <laughs> uh since since ea sports had a uh had a golf video game they had tiger woods pga tour and then rory McIlroy's pga tour but 2k is hopping in on the mix of pga 2k21 set to drop in september and you could call it a sport. You might not. You some call it a hobby. But Tony Hawk is, has announced the new edition of Tony Hawk Pro Skater. What are you more interested in seeing? Definitely Tony Hawk. I feel like uh, skating, skateboarding games are fun to play. I think I I might even consider getting it. Uh, I think that would be fun to see people try out. So definitely Tony Hawk. Two K does a really good job with their video games. Uh, so I'm I'm definitely excited to see Two K Golf. Um, I know, I know that video, that skateboarding video games are really popular, especially amongst that skating community. I'm not one of them. I wish I, I wish I knew how to ride a skateboard, but I don't. Um, but uh, 2K Golf sounds like it could be pretty cool. Um, the best video, the best golfing video game ever made is Wii Golf, and that's just undisputed. And the reason <laughs> is, is because you actually are golfing while you play Wii Golf. Like, you don't do that with 2K Golf on PS4. Like, you yeah. press the X button a Is this Wii times. Sports Golf or just Wii Golf? Well, Wii, Wii Sports Golf. Yeah, Wii Sports Golf, yeah. Wii, yeah, Sports okay. Golf. Wii Sports Resort Golf is, is right there. You know, it's essentially the same thing, right? Wow. So The OG, yeah. Let's go with the OG. The OG nine-hole so Wii Sports Golf. Speaking of golf, um, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson are, are facing off for the second time. But this time with a bit of a catch, Tiger and Phil are going to be, be golfing in, in a duos match where I believe, I don't know what the matchup is right now. I believe it's Tiger and Tom Brady versus Phil and Peyton Manning. Uh, so what are you more interested in, in seeing, Tiger versus Phil part two or the fact that Charles Barkley is commentating it? Oh, gross. <laughs> there we know what Jack's going to say. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> I'm going to play devil's advocate just say Charles Barkley commentating. I actually think he's, he's really funny on air with that whole TNT group. So I think that, yeah, that group is funny, but Charles just pisses me off. He just, he just rubs me the wrong way. Um, <laughs> watching, watching professional athletes do other sports professionally. is kind of fun. You know, watching Tim Tebow try to play minor league baseball. It's entertaining, right? So watching Tom Brady and, and Peyton Manning play professional golf can't, can't not yeah. be fun. You know I'm not I'm saying? saying the golf's not going to be fun. I think it's going to be hysterical watching them all no, play together. I'm but. I'm all in on Brady and Manning. Honestly, and the best part's easily easily going to be uh, going to be Barkley. I remember uh, I watched a, a an NCAA matchup. Uh, it was Albany and Duke, and they were tied at halftime. And Mark Madness, the first round was the two versus the fifteen. And Barkley goes, you know, uh, if Albany wants to win this game, they got to outscore Duke in the second half. Like really, thanks, thanks, Charles. Really I'll really say that as long as it as long as it isn't commentated by Joe Buck, I'm I'm there. Yeah, you know, Charles Barkley and and another pro golfer, I believe it's uh, Dustin Johnson. I gotta check that. I'm not I'm not 100 sure. Moving on, uh, both of both are are currently in the works to try and be, be worked out. But what are you more more looking forward to, the return of the MLB or the beginning of the NFL and NCAA seasons if they happen? The NFL um, is currently worse. NCAA is still kind of in, in the mud. Yeah. Um, that's really tough because as a Patriots fan, you usually look forward to every single football season. 
that is not the case this year. You have so much uncertainty. Baseball signifies summer. Uh, it signifies, you know, new beginnings. We're kind of past that point where April would kind of be that beginning time. But still seeing baseball come back is, would bring a tear to my eye. But that's not to say that I wouldn't be excited about watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, <laughs> Of course. I mean, I would have to agree with Jack. I mean, I think baseball would be cool to see just because I think it's coming sooner and most likely in June or July. So that would be nice to see that come back. Whereas if we have to wait a little bit longer for the NFL and NCAA, whether it be football or basketball sports to come back. Um, but I think seeing baseball will be cool just for the fact that it's coming sooner. But I would just want to see really any major professional sport league right now. I'm I'm dying to see the NBA playoff. There should be NBA playoffs right now. Yeah. But it should be the conference football. finals. Should so, be. So with with the ending of the last dance, <laughs> ESPN has announced that they are going to be releasing at the end of May a documentary on the fall of Lance Armstrong, as well as uh, in June a documentary on the steroid era of of Jorge Sosa and Mark McGuire. What are you more looking forward to, uh, Armstrong or Sosa and McGuire? For me, it's Lance Armstrong. I remember in one of my journalism classes, I watched uh, an interview between Oprah and Lance uh, after he uh, confessed that he did uh, do doping while he was in those Tour de France races. I would just love to see kind of like, you know, the whole story of how like Lance like truly was like, this insane biker in the Tour de France, and then it all just kind of goes downhill with him cheating and things like that, and, and how that, that history and information was uncovered. I think it'd be really cool to see something like that. I'm going to agree with Eric. I'm more excited to see the Lance Armstrong documentary. Um, I've watched the Ken Burns documentary, the 10th inning, uh, which really does a really good job of covering the steroid era. Plus, I already know so much about it uh, that I – would kind of like to see what happened with Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong was this cultural icon, not just in the world of cycling, but across the world, you know, live strong was his whole thing. My mom followed him religiously when, uh, when he was still, uh, when he was still in professional biking and, and wore his wristbands and everything like that. So um, definitely the fall of Lance Armstrong is one that I'm really excited about. The final one, uh, another ESPN based question. They released a poll on a poll on Twitter asking, what NBA documentary folks want to see next? The Lakers and the Phil Jackson, Shaq, and Kobe era of 96 to 04, or the Golden State Warriors and their rise to stardom from 2015 to 2019? What would you be more interested in seeing? I'm more interested in seeing the Los Angeles Lakers. Golden State isn't over. Steph Curry is still a great point guard. Klay Thompson's coming off the ACL tear, and they're going to have a high draft pick. So they're going to get somebody good uh, in the draft this year that could that could totally uh, respark that dynasty. With the last dance airing and and it following the career of um, of uh, Phil Jackson, you can call this because the last one was called the last dance. This one's going to be called the second act. It's the second act of Phil Jackson's career, and it's also the beginning of Kobe Bryant, who is considered the next Michael Jordan. It's the second act, and and also it's uh, it's Shaq's technically second act. At- following up uh Orlando. what he did in Orlando yeah so I am I am all in on that also I'm I would be more excited about that because it gives us another opportunity to do a Kobe Bryant thing and one thing that I was really happy to see was it was in the sixth or seventh episode when they when they interviewed Kobe Bryant about facing Michael Jordan in the all-star game I uh, you know that kind of was like oh my god I can't believe that guy is gone 
yeah. you know, if you do a Los Angeles Lakers documentary, you can you can bring back that Kobe thing. I think that's something that we all want right now. The Golden State's not over yet. Eric, how about you? Couldn't agree more with Jack. I think there's, as you mentioned, there's more to be made to the story with Golden State. I think there need, you know, come more years, see what they can still do with that dynasty because they're still going to have Curry in his prime. They're still going to have Clay in his prime. For a few more years, still going to have Draymond. They could get another big piece in the draft. And I also really want to see, you know, learn more about Kobe's era because I think they can really make that into another, like, kind of, a drawn out like span of series of like you know uh Jordan's life story like, you can kind of talk about like you know the Phil Jackson side of it uh the Kobe side of it being with the Lakers at the start of his career and then kind of leading it towards the last of that Phil Jackson era the last season that they were together um and then the you know same thing with the Shaq side as well and talk about the other pieces that Lakers acquired to make those championship runs with Bynum Gasol so again I think I would love to see uh a Kobe Shaq uh documentary I think that'd be cool how interesting would it be that we saw the last dance, we might now see Shaq and Kobe, and then we'll see possibly LeBron. And then after that, we could possibly, we could probably see someone like a Steph Curry. Just looking at the legacy of basketball from the early 90s and now pushing all the way, considering if you look at it, Kobe started off uh, towards the back end of Jordan. LeBron started right towards the middle of Kobe. And now Steph really started towards the back end of, back end of LeBron when you really think about it. So it's kind of seeing seeing the growth of basketball over over a 30-year span from the perspective of four of the best players to ever play the game, Curry being one of the best pure shooters from deep, LeBron obviously the uh, first or second in in most books, Kobe the first, second, or third in most books, and then then MJ. But that is all I have for you guys. this was a incredible show. So this yeah, was, this was this was an incredible show. I'm so glad we did this. I think we deserve a round of applause. Absolutely, guys. So, <laughs> incredible debating. A lot of awesome time. Uh, I am the lone wolf here, thinking LeBron is the goat. We'll have to see by the time he retires who really is the better player. But with that being said, I think it's time for us to go. So thank you everybody for watching the Mac and Main, or watching or listening the Mac and Main show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Mac and Main. Uh, subscribe to us and like us on Facebook as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcasts where all of our episodes are are, uh, are put on as well as YouTube to watch the live feed until quarantine ends and we're, and we're able to get back in the studio. For Jack Main, who's above me, although I don't know if it's him. him no, you're next to me on my screen. So you're this <laughs> I don't really know. And then Eric is below me, but he's probably, he probably is below me. But that being said, Jack Main, Stephen McAvoy, and Eric Kerr, thank you for watching or listening to The Mac and Main Show. Thank you for listening to The Mac and Main Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Mac and Main and like us on Facebook for updates about the show, news, and highlights around the world of sports. Make sure to listen to us Monday nights at 7 p.m. on 98.1 WQAQ or stream us live at WQAQ.com.